Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a transformation facilitator. She's a speaker and now an author. I'd like to welcome to the program Karen Wilson. Hello, Jackie. Hello, Karen. Good to have you here. Now, your book, uh, it entertained me all weekend, actually. It was called Change Made Easy. And I thought to myself, wow, these expectations are high. And I thought, I hope it's easy to read. It was. It was wonderful. So congratulations on, on your book. Thank you. And it's your first one, is that right? It certainly is. It was a labour of love, Jackie, but it eventually came to be. Now, change made easier. It was interesting. It was curious. Why is change so hard for humans? I find this fascinating. Change is the most naturally occurring thing, Jackie, and yet when we get involved in it, when we actively take part in it, we can make it such a challenge and difficult for ourselves. And there's actually reasons why that happens. I think the main one is that our brains are wired to keep us safe. So if we encounter anything that we perceive as our threat, our brain jumps in to protect us and it creates all sorts of physiological changes and emotional changes. And that puts us in a particular state that creates that response we've all heard of, the flight, fight or freeze response, none of which is going to help you make change. Yeah, it's it's always fascinating and uh, there's obviously, it's a popular topic in business change management, there's people called change agents, which always made me laugh, it was a bit like a get smart skit with the, <laughs> with the change agent and the secret briefcase, but uh, obviously businesses have realised how difficult it is for, for their employees uh, and, you know, supplies, human beings to, to make this change. So your book, Change Made Easy, what are some of the easy ways? to start making change? Okay, look, the first thing I would say to any individual or business that's looking at making change is to get really clear about what that change is. Get some clarity and know what it looks like and get specific. So you can either know yourself or tell your staff, this is where we're moving to. Um, Very important also is to be able to have some milestones and checkpoints along the way, Jackie, so that people can feel that they're making progress Mm. towards that end goal. Yeah, there's been uh, lots of research, to-do lists of effective, and when you actually cross something off a to-do list, and this is being, you know, using the old-fashioned pen and paper, and you cross it off, you get that shot of dopamine, uh, which is part of your reward uh, hormone that, that makes you feel good, and by crossing that off, and I think having those milestones, it's almost baby steps. Is, is that part of what you do as well, that you actually make uh, changes in small baby steps? Look, definitely. It doesn't have to be. This is a really individual thing. Mm. So it doesn't matter how grand your change is, and it can be massive, but I always say break it down. Break it down into chunks that are manageable for you or your staff so that they can not only see that progress but also get a sense of achievement and ultimately have them enjoy the process rather than it be a stressor for them. Yes, I love that part in the book. Uh, It was a real focus on the fun side of it and the joy side of it. Now, I get sent a lot of business books and a lot lot of 
these books talk about change. And, and they talk sort of similar what we've been talking about, but they miss the bit of it should be about fun, it should be about enjoyment and, and positive, not this labour of, oh, it's so difficult to actually shift or change, these seismic shifts. So I love I the think, fact that you've got the fun element in there. Yes, I think we've lost sight of the fact that life doesn't need to be all toil and struggle. Mm. Definitely we have challenges and people will feel stretched when they make a change, but there are ways to go about that, that they, and ways to approach that so that they can actually start to enjoy moving through those changes and achieving what they want or the business wants. Now, in the book it says here, a simple three-step process to help you make effective and lasting change. And, of course, my curious side said, why three? Why not five or ten or one? Why did you pick three steps? In all honesty, Jackie, I'm just keeping it simple. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. We are masters at complicating things. Mm. But if you follow these three steps, you're going to have all the tools that you need to make effective and lasting change. So uh, rather than go through all three, because I recommend that people read the book uh, if they want to get the three steps, but can you just give us uh, an example of maybe one of those steps? Sure. Well, I can definitely let you know what the three processes are. That's very easy. The book's set out to mimic the change process. So in any change, what you really need is you need a planning stage, a stage where you prepare to make the change, and then an action or execution stage. So that's the way the book has been set out in stages called Get Real, Get Ready, and then Get On With It. So one important thing, we've already spoken about clarity, getting clarity about what you want and why you want it and being able to identify it. One really important thing that I think people overlook sometimes is in the planning stage, and it's to check in on your beliefs, to make sure that they actually support what you say you want. Mm. But if you don't actually get what you say you want, Jackie, you get what you believe. Now, if you have, if you say you want something, but you have beliefs around that that don't support it, you're in trouble before you even start you will absolutely find it really difficult, if not impossible, to make that change because you almost enter into like a tug of war with yourself. So it's so important that you actually make sure you have beliefs that support your change and once they're congruent, it will change your experience completely. It's almost like you're sitting in the car and you put your foot down on the accelerator pedal Now, with your beliefs supporting you, you're releasing the handbrake, and that means that that resistance is gone and you can move forward easily. Yeah, no one wants to be told you must change. And one thing I really liked about the book, in the introduction, you said you can use this book in two ways. You can simply choose to read it and then return at a later time to apply the information and exercises in your life, or focus on a particular change you want to make as you read the book and apply the information and complete the exercises as you go. Either way is fine. So that's I thought that was really clever because you're giving the reader a choice and so I then make the decision how I want to use the book and I make the decision, yeah, and you know what, I think I will want change and I might just pick one in my head and use that. And you're almost empowering the reader rather than you telling me what to do, which I think it's a human nature to resist being told what to do. Was that intentional? I think I wrote the book as a resource for people rather than a once-off read 
And I think it's something you can return to whenever you find yourself stuck in a situation that you realise you want to change but you're not seeing that change happen. You can pop back there then and you can read through the book or I've actually included a checkpoint list at the back of the book. Once you've read it once, you might just choose to go to that checkpoint list and actually remind yourself of the steps to take to make this change easily and if need be, go to that particular section of the book and read it. But change is very personal, Jackie. Mm. Everyone will do change differently and that is absolutely fine. Some people want to take giant steps and other people want to just take a little baby step. However you do it is fine, Jackie. A slight change in direction will bring you to a vastly different destination over time. Yeah, and I like the use of the cartoons. I'll call them cartoons. They're illustrations more like uh, throughout the book. And I and it, it puts a fun factor again into it and makes it really, really easy to read. And you've used quotes uh, throughout it. And the one I particularly like, and particularly for our business listeners, most of them would have heard of Stephen Covey. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the quote you use from him is, the key is not to prioritise what's on your schedule <laughs> but to schedule your priorities. And I went, yeah, that's that's a really, really good one. How did you come up with all your quotes? Where did you find them? It's over years of reading, and certainly some of them have jumped out at me when I've been reading specific books. And apart from that, I was writing the book and thought, now I need to have something to put just there, and so I would go and search for quotes specifically around that point that I was making in the book. But there, it is a, quite a mix of business and a personal uh, level quotes throughout the book and I, I love each and every one of them. That's why I put them in there. Yeah, well, this work that you're doing, this transformational coaching, is that, I suppose, facilitating and coaching that you're doing uh, with individuals and organisations? What led you to, to going down this path? Because I noticed that you had a background in emergency services. Are they r- related to where you are now? Uh, um, definitely, Jackie. Look, the work I do today with others really is a legacy of my previous work history. So you are right. I have a history of working with emergency services. And for years, I dealt with people in crisis and stressful situations, day in and day out. And look, over time, that can really take its toll. It skews the way you look at the world, and it absolutely mucks with your enjoyment of life. Mm. And I think that back then, because of that, I started to explore ways to manage that. And so you start to research mindfulness, the way your mind works, um, how to reduce and manage stress, all with a view back then of how I could maintain balance in my own life while I was helping others. Yeah, I know you've said in here the mind-body-spirit mind, connection is emphasised in the multidisciplinary approach to the work that you now do. And that was that multi-leveled approach. I know a lot of uh, coaches and things sort of come from one dimension, but the fact that you can use all those elements as you need, like some people say you've got 10 different elements that you can call on. Some people yeah. might only want one, but some might want eight or some might want 10. So you've yeah. got you've got that, that resource 
that resource to, to do it. What was the uh, experience like writing your first book? I always like asking authors this because I, I often get, yes, a very similar response because writing a book is not easy and I don't know where people get that. I'm just going to write a book and think it's easy. But everyone has a different way of, of doing it and different process. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all with writing a book. What, what worked for you? It was a bit of a love-hate relationship for me, Jackie, to be honest. So I researched all these different templates and how to structure a book and how to write it. And in the end, that all went out the window and it became a very organic and intuitive thing. Um, and that's actually how I work with clients. I will make sure that what we put together actually suits them. So I tried to do it a particular way, but I ended up coming back to what works for me. Yeah, well, whatever you did, it worked. Uh, you can find some more information about Karen at changingwillows.com, which is your website. And also there's a website for your book, changemadeeasybook.com, uh, if you're wanting to find out a bit more about Karen Wilson and the work she's done. But I, I strongly recommend this book. It's, uh, it's, it's, it was great. It was a really easy read. Uh, learned some new things. It, it makes you... I suppose it's self-reflecting, but there's ways that are not difficult to make some little uh, small changes. And one of your testimonials on the book, and I thought this was nice, they said this book is a powerful tool for transformation with easy-to-follow strategies to create massive change. Uh, So congratulations, Karen Wilson. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Always good talking to people like yourself. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this. It's very small change. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business, where we are very time conscious. And because I'm so time conscious, I thought, hmm, who could our next guest be? She's the founder and CEO of Time Stylers. She's a speaker. She's a media commentator. She was Koshy's business builder, time management expert, and she's a best-selling author of three business books, all about time. She's a great friend of the show. Welcome back, Kate Christie. Oh, thank you for having me, Jackie. I love coming on your show. See, well, I love having you. So there, it's a win-win. <laughs> now, <laughs> I must... won before we even started. I know. I oh, know. I love that. Now, I must admit, when I introduced you and it was a time management expert, which was the technical term, you've actually moved on from that. And I like the fact that you're now calling yourself a time investment expert. Now, tell me why the move from management to investment Well, look, I I guess I played it safe for a little while because time management is a concept that everyone understands and is familiar with. But the more work I did in this space and the more clients I worked with, it really started to rankle with me in terms of it's such a negative term and people sort of um, bash themselves up and say, oh, you know, my time management is terrible. And and I, I was really wanting to change mindset for people to understand that time is not something you need to manage. Time is something that you need to invest and you should be investing your time the way you invest your money with the greatest possible um, intent for the greatest possible return. You know, we just don't go and, and throw, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars away. So we invest that money and let's start thinking about our time the same way. Yeah, I, look, I totally agree. I thought it was really clever and it got me thinking about terms like the time economy and, and actually using the word time as you would 
cash or or anything that's that's financial Absolutely. Uh, and actually giving it the same level because you know some of those sayings that we hear uh you know about uh time is money and things like that so it's there so it's just bringing it back to the forefront of an awareness of how how important time is because it's one thing that you don't get back that's right. It's, it's just about being making very conscious decisions and very conscious choices around where you invest the time you have. You know, we all have the same amount of hours. Um, however, those who invest wisely and make deliberate choices will do better. And it's very easy to shift your consciousness in that way. So I think just um, by moving away from the term time management and really coining it as time investment, I think that just helps people immediately start thinking about their time a little bit differently. Yeah, and being in more and being responsible for their time. And I don't know about you; you probably get this because everyone wants to talk to you about time. But I, I hear it a lot. People saying, "Oh, they wasted my time," and I went and met with them. They're tire kickers, and they're this. And I'm saying, "Hang on, you can't blame them for wasting your time. You've got to take responsibility of that. So, you've a got to increase your awareness of it. B put some strategies in place to to shut it down very quickly, and maybe some scripts around. I'm out of here." or something, but you've got to be responsible for your time. Is that something that you come across? Yes, and, and it's very much about setting boundaries and understanding what you're going to say yes to, what you're going to say no to, and having very, very clear boundaries. I think in small business, we're often approached and someone will say, can I have five minutes of your time? Or can you talk me through this? Or you're very good at this. Can I have your time? And you need to consider those requests carefully. Um, it's around thinking to yourself, well, is this a genuine win-win? Is this something I really want to do? Because every time you say yes to those sorts of requests, basically you're saying no to yourself or something that you want to do. So you have to be really clear that those sorts of time investments are something that you want to do. So, you know, I, I, I really dislike those those terms around, you know, killing time or wasting time or mm. stealing my time or losing time. You, you are in control. You're in the driver's seat. This is your life. You really need to take control of the agenda. I like it. I like it. Now, this new book, Smart Time Investment for Business, 128 ways the best in business use their time. Uh, my curious mind, Kate Christie, had to ask, well, how come 128? <laughs> well, look, you know what? I basically kept writing whilst I, I kept thinking of lots and lots of little strategies. And since I went to print, I've been thinking of more. So we know we may have you know, version two and version three. But I, I just wanted to give my readers in the business, in the small business and medium enterprise space, as much of my IP as I could possibly give. So I didn't want to stop without and, and leave anything on the table. I really wanted my readers to walk away with as many possible strategies as they could have. Yeah, okay, that's, that's a good one. Now, out of the 128, what's your favourite? Oh, look, one of the latter ones, I think it's about strategy 120 off the top of my head. I should have my book in front of no, me. That's all right. I've, I've got it here. I've got it here. Okay. So it's t- the strategy me. on multitasking. Yeah, it's 120. And trust what oh, you know. There you go. Trust there what you, go. you know. That just shows how many times I've proofread that book. Um, and 
the, the strategy basically is that, you know, you need to stop multitasking. And I, I mean in a work business sense. Um, multitasking is basically the uh, decision to try and do more than one thing at a time with the intention that you're going to actually get more done. And it's the complete and utter reverse of that. When we multitask, which can be as simple as sitting at your computer doing some work and the emails are flashing in the corner, or it could be talking to a customer while the phone's vibrating in your pocket, or it could be out and about uh, driving your car to your next job and the phone's going incessantly or you're trying to have a telephone call whilst you're driving. All of those are examples of multitasking. And when we multitask, our productivity actually goes down by 40%. Mm. Now, that's a killer. That's 10 IQ points. So you, you've lost even before you've started. So that's probably one of my most favourite uh, strategies. And I think it's very impactful and very it's an easy one for people to actually understand and go away and implement and just to say, look, I'm just going to batch my time. I'm going to focus on this one task for the next 30 minutes without distraction, and it is amazing how much you actually get done. Yeah, it sure, sure does. Uh, does it annoy you as much as it annoys me when I see jobs being advertised and they list as a requirement that you must be able to multitask? Look, I think it's hilarious, yeah. and, I, and I, often, I often think, gosh, if, I was, if, I, if it wasn't for the fact that I was running my own business, I'd apply for that job, and on top of my CV, I'd have it in bold, big capital letters, I do not multitask, um, because multitasking does not work. I think from the home front, you know, if you can throw on the spaghetti bolognese whilst you're vacuuming the floor and feeding the pets and throwing the kids in the bath and um, ordering, you know, next week's online shopping, then knock yourself out because they're all kind of low, um, low value tasks from the perspective of they're important things, but they don't require your best brain. That's uh, right, so from yeah. a multitasking perspective, you know, at home, absolutely. But tasks which require your best brain, you just cannot multitask them. No, exactly. Now, my favourite one, because mm. I thought if I ask you for your favourite, it's only fair that I thought you might ask me for mine. And I thought, well, you know what? I need to pick one because 128. Number five. Now, can you remember off the top of your head? I'm teasing Number you now. Number five. Can I'm you remember? thinking that somewhere <laughs> around setting audacious goals. But oh, close, close. Don't be busy. Don't be busy. <laughs> Don't be okay. busy. Now, I've decided every year I have a bit of a, a mantra or, you know, what's my word of the year or what's my uh, term that I'm going to use for this year. So mm, this I year... Do, do you? Okay, great. It's good. It just sort of, sort of just shifts my focus or sharpens my focus. And mine was don't be busy because everyone always says to me, oh, you're so busy, you're always so busy. And I thought to myself, no, I'm going to say I'm not busy. And it's, it's been hilarious, the response. People go, oh, Jackie, thanks so much for taking the call. I know how busy you are. I go, no, I'm not busy. And they go, yeah, must no, I'm really not busy. And their reaction's been really funny. Uh, and it's them wanting to get off the phone but saying, I know you're busy, I'll let you go. No, no, I've got as much time as you need, so obviously you need to go. <laughs> well, it, it totally changes the conversation, doesn't yeah, it? And it I does. say this, you know, that often when you meet someone, it's like, how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm so busy. Oh, my God, I'm so busy too. And then you have this really negative conversation about how busy you are. And it seems to have acquired a bit of a social status. And it's not a badge of honour. So no. when people ask you how you are, say, I'm great, I'm terrific, I'm productive, I'm getting through heat. 
um, because it, it, it does change the conversation. Yeah, and it also made me realise uh, that I was missing opportunities because people said, oh, I didn't bother you with that because I know how busy you are. I didn't think you'd have, that it would interest you or that you'd have time for it. And I thought to myself, well, let me make that choice, not you. Yeah, what a shame. What, what a, a shame. shame. And there was some really good stuff that I was missing out on and I went, right, <laughs> that's it. I am not busy. I am not busy. I've got time for everything. But that then says to me, which has been a really good mindset shift for me to say, I'm getting better at saying no to things. So no, I'm not busy. Would you want to? No, but I don't want to do that, or I choose not to do that. I'm not busy. I've got time to do it, but I'm choosing not to do it. So you actually then get better saying no. But you're right. The minute you say busy, you may as well have. I'm so unproductive and stupid on your forehead. I think absolutely, and no one says that. (laughs) How are you? Oh, I'm so unproductive. That's the last thing that your listeners are going to be saying to their clients. So. It's just, again, it's just a simple, little simple strategy that's just shifting the dialogue. Yeah, I know. And I used to say I'm busy, but I'm good busy. But I'm going, no, I'm not even going to go there now. So number five, well done. That's really great. Now, the other bit about your book that I really enjoyed was the stories. and the te- I always love a story. But the testimonials in your book. Now, when you went to the UK last year, I know you were a keynote in London, uh, which was very exciting. And I know that you hooked up with some really cool business people. And one in particular that I, I sort of got attracted to in the book, you know how when you read things, you think, oh, I really like to actually meet this person was the Starling Bank lady Anne Bowden. Anne, yes. Tell me about her. Oh look she was brilliant. Look what I what I did was knowing that I was going to London I basically reached out to a whole suite of incredible business owners who are household names and just said look I'm coming I'd love to interview you for a book and I, I, about one in three came back and said, yeah, I'd love to be interviewed, which I just thought terrific. And she was, was one. She uh, started a bank, as and, you do. Yeah, as you do. Uh, wow. So she was a, a career banker. She felt the banking was broken. She wanted to fix it. She wanted a new solution. She wanted to start from scratch, and she wanted to do it. So she did it, and she's delivered um, England's only on, fully online bank, I went to their offices in London, um, incredible open space. She is a dynamic woman, a very uh, agile, young, engaged team. Um, they have a, a huge demographic of people using the portal. They sort of went into it thinking that there was going to be a specific demographic, but no. Um, and, they've, and they've basically created a, a bank. And she funded it for a number of, you know, two years on her own and then she went knocking on doors and got investment and um, and she, she's absolutely inspiring. And she has, uh, she, she's not, she doesn't have children. She's in her 50s and, and her business is her life, but she's, you know, unashamed about that in terms of, you know, this is the life I love. And, and yet having said that, it wasn't until she was in her 40s or late 40s that she felt... It was appropriate for her to get a cleaner, for example, because she sort of had been brought up that, you know, you, you, you have to clean your own home. And here she was, this phenomenally successful woman, running and owning a bank, and yet she was still doing all of the, the sort of the household chores. And, and I just had a wonderful conversation with her around that concept of giving yourself permission to outsource 
giving yourself permission to pay for people to help you so that you can focus on the things you love. And, um, you know, she was absolutely terrific. Oh, look, that was certainly inspiring. Uh, Kate Christie, I value your time. Thank you very much. You've been very generous with it. Your new book, Smart Time, Smart Time Investment for Business, 128 Ways the Best in Business Use Their Time and Certainly the Best in Business. So congratulations. I like the book. I like its little workbook that you've got under each tip. Write down three ways you could use this strategy. Uh, And that's sort of really, really helpful with that. So congratulations and thanks as always for your time. What's uh, what's on for you this year? Are you still doing some lots of travelling? Yes, I've got a lot of travel on this year. I'm doing a lot of speaking engagements across various sort of industry events and uh, working with uh, small business, um, small to medium enterprise, big business. So lots, lots on the agenda this year, but I am not busy. I am fantastic. <laughs> You're highly productive and efficient. <laughs> I love Thank it. you for having me. Thank you for making the time. Really appreciate it. Kate Christie, I look forward to our next encounter. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a great friend of the program. I always like to check in with him every now and then to keep on top of all these trends and the fast-paced change in the business world. He's a social researcher and demographer and, as I said, great friend of the program. Hello, Mark McCrindle. G'day, Jackie. Good to be with you. Always good chatting with you, Mark. Now, what's some of the biggest trends in business at the moment? With, with, uh, I suppose there's four generations now. I was reading mm. some research saying that are entering the marketplace. So certainly, uh, diversity in age would be one of them. What else is there? Well, exactly right. You know, more of those age groups and more generations than ever in the workforce and in our consumer or client base as well. So really understanding the the difference that exists there and the increasing age difference. The fact is people are working later in life, people are living longer, people are remaining active as consumers or in running their businesses. So we will continue to see in this period of a longevity boom uh, a wider age range of customers. And what it means for us is that the lifetime value of a customer or a client has never been greater. You know, if we can continue to meet their needs as they move through those different life stages, uh, we really can engage people for the long term, which is, uh, you know, a very pleasing thing to be able to do. It's a, it's a wonderful time for you and your career to see all these changes because there's been some seismic shifts in Australia's demographics, particularly uh, this year as Gen Y and beyond, so that's Australians born since 1980, will become the largest population of the population. I couldn't believe that. It's amazing, and it was, uh, I can remember in the early 2000s when this term Generation Y was first being coined and used, and people were saying, well, we've heard of baby boomers and Generation X, but who's Generation Y? And now they, along with the generation that comes afterwards, obviously Generation Z, uh, now comprise the majority of the Australian population. That is that the generation born since 1980, or Australians born since 1980, uh, now are more than half of our national population. And those two generations I've mentioned, the Ys and the Zs, who are the oldest edge are in their 30s, but the youngest edge, you know, just heading into their 20s, they now comprise half of the workforce as well, more than half this year. So, so the majority of the population, of the workers, of the wealth accumulators, and therefore of the, of the new purchasers are these 
uh, so-called millennial or, or, or new generations and all the more reason to understand them because they're big in number and they're big in economic power as well. So what's the key to success in understanding these? Um, they're called millennials, aren't they, Mark? Are they grouped all together, the Ys and the Zs? Is that yeah, right? that's, the, that's the way it generally works. If people are talking millennial, they're talking about uh, what we would describe sociologically as the Gen Ys and the Gen Zs, but essentially those in their 20s or 30s. And, and I guess what it does mean is that uh, we've got these generations that have been shaped in this digital era with technology, global in outlook, influenced through the social connection, not just what the experts tell them, visual in terms of how they consume content and make decisions. They're, they're uh, also um, you know, digital in terms of those tools, and so they've got access to more information. They're a few clicks away from any product or offering out there, and all of that has transformed what they look for in a service provider in a business, um, and, and their time frames are a lot shorter as well. So we do have to be more customer-centric and more adaptive to these trends if we're to really meet and, and maintain their needs into the future. Yeah, now your business, McCrindle Research, is uh, very well known for its visual and its data storytelling, and that's the bit I've always loved about the work you do, Mark. It's not just presenting numbers, yawn, don't understand it, but you're actually creating a story. So you're, you're working with the brain because our brain loves a story. We like storytelling. It makes us understand things, and you use that a lot. So with this big data, I think you did a TEDx talk not long ago. You talked about more the number. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, we all have recognised in the last few years we've entered a world of big data and and that's powerful. You know, the business insights that come from data is incredible if we can understand it, interpret it and apply it. And that's where the visuals come in. We say that big data needs to be visual data if we're to really put it into practice. It was uh, 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 Tom Peters, the management expert, he used to say, what gets measured gets done. And so in business, we've got our KPIs, no doubt. We've got the data that we track, sales, whatever it might be. But I would I would add to the Peters saying there, and I'd, I'd add extra phrase in the middle, I'd say what gets measured and effectively communicated gets done. And so the effective communication part is trying to help our team members or indeed the customers see the data by making it visual. You know, in the last few years, we've seen this this term infographic where data is presented in visual charts, where reports uh, have a lot more visual elements to them because we are time poor. We're not going to read through the big report, but if we can see it in the symbols or the pictures and clearly understand the message through that, it's going to stick in our brain better. It's going to be quicker to consume. It's going to be easier to share, particularly on a digital platform. And, and the more we share it, the more we understand it and we'll apply it. And so that is the power and the importance of visual, not just to make it look pretty, but strategically to make sure those communications are effective. Hence the rise of the emoji. <laughs> exactly right. That's yeah, well, right. The... You know, because we, we communicate, you know, uh, emotionally, not just rationally. And, and the pictures and the emojis, are the, the way we communicate in text language, it brings the heart and not just the head. And that's, that's true in any communication. Yes, well, uh, the visual side of our brain is uh, superiorly dominant. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's good to tap into that. Now, the other thing I noticed, uh, Mark, recently you're in China talking about trends in the Australian market. What were you chatting about? Yeah, well, just uh, how you know, really Australia is is part of, of of our region. You know, we look to the north now, not just to Europe, in terms of where our connections. 
comes from, our census data, the, the latest Australian census showed us that now of Australians born overseas, and that's more than a quarter of us, more were born in Asia than in Europe. So we have shifted even our our, our migration patterns to, to take into account our part of the world. And uh, and so the, the, the demographic epicentre of our globe is just to our north in Asia. It's the emerging economic epicentre as well. And so we do a lot of analysis of Asia and get over there a fair bit uh, to communicate some of the insights and trends and really help them understand the Australian marketplace as well. And and what I find over there and what we found in this, this recent tour is uh, very sophisticated and engaged business community in China, an emerging small business marketplace as well, um, global in outlook and really looking to Australia uh, as a place of of investment and benefit. We are on their radar from an education perspective, uh, from a, a an export you know country perspective, and and obviously our, our property and our um, cities are, are, and infrastructure are, are key areas that China looks at and can can assist Australia with. So and right across Southeast Asia as well. So that was part of the, the tour there and just sharing some of our analysis. Well, talking about global education, I also noticed that you're uh, just starting your PhD at Harvard Business School of all schools. Uh, how come you chose Harvard and what are you doing your PhD in? Well, it's it's a, a, a doctorate in international leadership, and and you know as I was just communicating with uh, with those broader trends, you know, it has to be global leadership we bring to the fore now, not just a, a traditional perspective. We have to be able to have not just that IQ and not even just the EQ or the social intelligence, but the the CQ, the cultural intelligence. You know, manage different generations of different cultures and backgrounds, and be adept as to uh, whether we're you know in a local position environment or an international meeting or, or managing you know, some offshore staff. So, so that's all, all part of what's required these days and, uh, and that's what the, uh, the doctorate involves. It's an international cohort of, of students from Australia, from the US, some from Canada and uh, uh, it's, it's a three-year program. We're, well, four years in, in the end by the time you, you write up the thesis. So we'll, um, we'll spend some time this year in the UK as well at at Oxford, and uh, and so it just gives us this this global perspective on on what's happening in business, in leadership, and in uh, in this fast changing, uh, mega trends driven uh, business environment. Yeah, well, that's really exciting, Mark, and uh, c- okay. congratulations. I think it'll be great, and and it'd be great to actually get that insight globally into these mega trends. So, let's talk a little bit about some global mega trends that we know now. What are some of the uh, insights you've got at the current time? Well, a big one this year would have to be trust. And it's not just true in Australia where we've had you know, a couple of royal commissions that have really focused in on trust and, and how well uh, some big players in various sectors are delivering. But it's, it's, we see it internationally with, with brands, uh, with whether it be you know food brands that we consume and can we trust the safety of them to cars we drive and can we trust the reports written about the, the, the standards of these vehicles. Wherever we look to, whatever the sector here in Australia, you know, banking and finance, um, aged care and, uh, and religious institutions, whatever it may be, 
uh, Australians uh, and, and I think right around the world, people are looking to make decisions on trust. And it's always been important for a business to have that trust reputation, but I think these days even more than ever because, as I said earlier, what influences us is what others are saying, not just what the brand says about itself and what we find and what what our experience has been and the experience of others. And those organisations that can not only have trust and, and have a legacy of it, but can maintain that trust in terms of delivering delivering to customers what they say they will, in terms of living by the values that they espouse, and in terms of being those global citizens, uh, that's what really does uh, ha- create a, a premium of consumer engagement these days. And, um, and so trust would have to be one of those key themes for the, the year ahead. And the other one that we um, haven't touched on that we've been looking at is is this this year of what we're calling a recessionette. Now, I don't think we're we're quite heading towards a recession, and certainly technically speaking, you know, we've, we've had a dream run for a couple of decades without one. But as the property prices have dropped, Australians are getting a sense of feeling less wealthy, a sense that their house is not worth what it once was, a sense that uh, those mortgage repayments might tighten up. Certainly living costs have been going up and wages growth has been flat. And that is coming to a point this year where Australians are cutting back a little bit here and there on their spend. And that does have some flow on impact. So not quite mini recession, but certainly that feeling of a slow growth environment and, uh, and, and a few further tightenings to come across the Australian consumer landscape. Mark McCrindle, it's always stimulating and very reflective uh, a conversation with you, but I liked your point about in uh, the uh, addendum to uh, Tom Peters about things being effectively communicated. That's always the key, and I think that's uh, part of this discussion today. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Well, I have too. Thanks so much, Tacky. That's the end of another stimulating show. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation, picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you missed a lot, the podcast will be on the website, artofallpfm.com.au, and you can connect with me to continue the conversation, Jackie Mitchell, on social media or at brandstorm.com.au. Thank you today to our worldly and thought-provoking guests. We look forward to your company next Friday at 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business.